Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Superb Saturday to one and all. Welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson is coming at you once again, and we've got coming at you in the second segment, Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. That's going to be a lot of fun. Going to talk to him about some of the contenders, some of the pitchers that are going to be going on the mound, the moves we've seen, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Raz him for not putting out his article on the dead money contracts for this year, so it's going to be a whole boatload of fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, you guys asked me a couple of Twitter questions, which you can always fire in at GNRSquarity1. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to always ask it, but let's get right to those questions. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. A man that goes by the name 20 times at DAV, Manu for life, at GNRSquarity1. Where can I get FIP matchup sets? And by this, he means... Fielding independent pitching matchup sets, not flipping in pancake sets, so don't worry about that. But this is something that you can find on quite a few websites. I'm quite sure this was in reference to Eli Hershkovich joining us yesterday. He does tremendous work for Radio.com, and he was talking a lot about fielding independent and everything like that. And this is something where I typically look on a website called BaseballReference.com. They always list the fielding independents. Now, they don't go into necessarily the advanced analytics. If you're looking for really like your Sierras, your XFIPs, the really, really nerdy advanced analytics, 
Fangraphs, best place for that. I know that ESPN also puts out some advanced stats. You have to really select that as an option because it's not going to appear on the normal player card, but they do have some advanced options as well, so you can get that. And they really don't have matchup stats. They just have what the pitcher has done for the year. You really don't have that for like every individual player or team or everything like that, but you have that for the pitcher for the year, pitcher for maybe like the month and everything like that. I know that Fangraphs does a good job of being able to break that down. So that would be the best reference there. And then we got a question from a guy by the name of Rye. You can follow him on Twitter at RY34164219. And yes, I did read that verbatim at Junior one Compared to last year, a lot of games are opening at double-digit totals. Is there any reason behind this? This one is probably going to be, I'll be honest, you're one of the easiest answers I'll give you all year long. The books have to raise up these prices just because of the juice ball, all the home runs that are being hit and everything like that. Scoring is way up in baseball. And to compensate for that, the books are having to raise their totals. And even though they have raised the totals, overs are hitting at a much bigger rate than last year and the year before that. So the books just have absolutely no choice. They're handcuffed to raising up these numbers because, well, the scoring is just so high in Major League Baseball, it's not even funny. And we did see some high-scoring games in Major League Baseball on Friday. So let's take a look back at them. Let's try to find some trends, and let's try to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Padres and Cubs played an interesting one to get things started as the Chicago Cubs continue to be white out at home. They're now 34-16 and 16 at home as they get a 6-5 win over the Sunday. Diago Padres. For the Padres, they were able to get three runs in the first three innings, and they got a pair of home runs. Josh Naylor is third of the campaign, and Manny Machado is 21st, as John Luster, not necessarily his best start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, but he stranded a lot of men on base, because the Padres got 12 hits off of them, but they wound up leaving 11 men on base. So, if you're looking at some luck, John Luster got that Got that, and then you had Steve Ciszek, Pedro Strope, and Craig Kimbrell all come in and deliver an inning with only Strope giving up a run. And for the Chicago Cubs, the difference maker in this one was in the third inning when they were down by a count of three to nothing. Anthony Rizzo hits a ball that it looked like was going to stay in the yard, but because the wind was blowing out, it went yard his 20th of the year. This is why the books do not set these totals at Wrigley Field until the morning because the wind really impacted this game. Without it, the Cubs wind up losing. And then you had an additional home run from Javi Baez, his 25th home run of the year. As for the San Diego Padres, Eric Lauer wound up just being the victim of those two home runs. He goes four and two-thirds innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. And then you did have some good bullpen pitching from the Padres. Luis Perdomo, two and a third innings, doesn't give up a run. And Craig Saban did give up a run in the eighth inning, but that was an unearned run. The Colorado Rockies are just continuing to slide right now. They lose to the New York Yankees by a count of 8-2. to two. I believe this team has now lost 12 out of their last 14 games. Certainly in a little bit of a rough stretch, but two guys that are not in a rough stretch, Edwin Encarnacion and Aaron Judge, they both go deep in this one for Encarnacion, his 29th of the year, and Aaron Judge, his 11th. Jay Happ seems to be doing a little bit of a better job as a pitcher. He certainly has been giving up the deep ball, and he gave up a home run in this one, but he goes five innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. And then from there, you wound up having Adam Adovino give an inning of relief, and tip of that to Stephen Tarpley. You were able to save all the bullpen arms that the Yankees had to use Thursday 
in that doubleheader as he gave three innings and didn't give up a run. But one guy that did not save their bullpen is Kyle Freeland. He just continues to struggle. Now 2-7, and seven, 7.62 ERA after he goes four innings in this one, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. You just have to fade him until further notice. He is right now the poster boy of the Rocky struggles. And then you add from there a pair of guys in Jario Diaz and Jake McGee that were able to give an inning of relief, but Yancy Almonte in his two innings wound up giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Lone bright spot for the Rockies. Ryan McMahon goes yard his 10th of the year. Interesting note with the Yankees. Of their eight of their eight games since the All-Star break, seven of them have stayed under. A game that did not stay under was out in Baltimore as the Boston Red Sox got shellacked by the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 11-2. David Price had given up more than two earned runs, I believe in one start since May, and in this one that was not the case. Four innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Colton Brewer records one out, he gives up two runs, and then Ryan Weber gives up two runs in his three and a third innings. Not a whole lot went right for the Boston Red Sox. The lone thing that you guess you could say was good was Sam Travis being able to get a home run for them off of Jonathan Means, his first of the year. But for the Baltimore Orioles, this was just essentially their best performance right here. Anthony Santander gets his fifth home run of the year. Keon Broxton, his fourth, those both came off of David Price. Jonathan Means goes six innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then from there, Jacob Yacobonis, Miguel Castro, and Richard Blyer all deliver an ending of relief for the Baltimore Orioles. If you've been betting on the Baltimore Orioles this year in starts that Andrew Kasher have not delivered for them, you're still down $2,500. And if you're betting on every one of their games at home, you're down nearly $1,500. But obviously a good sign for them. A good sign for the Philadelphia Phillies as they slay the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 6-1. Pittsburgh Pirates, by the way, came into this game having played nearly 70% of their games to the over so far this year, just home games alone. And in this one, it was Jake Arrieta that was able to hold them at bay. Five and two-thirds innings, gives up just one run. And then Cole Irvin, Jose Alvarez, and Juan Niasco combined for three and a third innings of scoreless baseball. And they had one home run in this one as it was Adam Azelli. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I'm going to have to look up his last same pronunciation soon. He gets his second home run. Looks like the Phillies have an interesting prospect there. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they leave seven men on base. And Jordan Lyles actually gave a good start. But I believe that teams that he starts for in the month of July are now like 0-17 when he takes them out. It's absolutely insane. As he went five and a third innings, he gave up one run. Then Richard Rodriguez gives up a run out of the bullpen. Kyle Crick gives up a run. And Clay Holmes goes one and a third innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, not ideal. Needless to say, things are not ideal right now for the Detroit Tigers as they get just completely blasted by the Toronto Blue Jays. 12-1 was the final. Marcus Stroman, who has been a tough luck loser all year long, was not that on this night. Seven innings pitch, does not give up a single run. Hard to lose when you don't give up a single run. And then Sam Gavilio, two innings of relief from there, giving up a run in the process. For the Toronto Blue Jays, they didn't even really need the deep ball. Teoscar Hernandez wound up getting his 12th home run of the year, but it was just a whole bunch of guys doing well of hitting with men in scoring position, 6 of 18 with that regard. And for the Detroit Tigers, Jordan Zimmerman is your pitcher to fade. He goes three and two-thirds innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Zach Renninger 
winds up recording five outs. He gives up four runs, and they just wound up having to throw out there pretty much all the rope and arms as Victor Alcantara gave up a run while recording two outs, and then you had Blaine Hardy giving up a run as well as the Detroit Tigers. Just look like a complete mess at this point. They might finish with a worse record than the Baltimore Orioles. A team that will not finish with a worse record than the Baltimore Orioles is the Chicago White Sox, and they get a very good win over the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 9-2. The Tampa Bay Rays have now lost 4-5, of by the way, and for the Chicago White Sox, Ronaldo Lopez seems to be turning the corner. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. From there, Jace Fry and Jose Ruiz were able to give an ending solid out of the bullpen. And for the White Sox, the big hit of the game came from a unlikely source. Yomer Sanchez, his second home run of the year, that came off of Brendan McKay, who had just the worst start of his career in regards to the major leagues. Obviously, hasn't been up for very long, but three and a third innings, gives up six runs, five of which were earned. Colin Pooch, I have no idea why he's still currently on the Tampa Bay Rays roster. He goes an inning, he gives up two runs as well, and then you had Ryan Stanek giving up a run as well for the Tampa Bay Rays. Just not a whole lot of redeeming qualities in this game, and they seem to be playing a few more overs at home recently. They have been mostly an under team, but certainly the pitching has been a little bit lackadaisical whenever they have Colin Pooch out there, and it's been inconsistent to say the least. I think that that's a fair statement. The Kansas City Royals have certainly been inconsistent, but the Cleveland Indians are consistently getting hot this time of year, and they are smoldering as they get a 10-5 win over the Kansas City Royals. Taylor Naquin with the big hit of the game. He gets his ninth home run of the year. That was off of Mike Montgomery, who made his first start of the year, and while it didn't go well, Two innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, he didn't make a good impression there. From there, Brian Flynn actually delivers three innings. He gives up one run. I'll give him credit. Kevin McCarthy gives up a run. And Willie Peralta, three runs given up in an inning for the Kansas City Royals. Whit Merrifield had three RBI. I guess that's a good sign. And for the Cleveland Indian Shane Bieber fever. He was having a little bit of a fever with giving up runs, but still got the win. Five and two-thirds innings, he gave up five runs, all of which were earned. If you are looking for an encouraging sign, Bieber has been giving up nearly 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Did not give up a home run in this one. And then the bullpen of the Cleveland Indians continues to be the best in regards to ERA in the bigs. They go three and a third innings, not giving up a run in the process. A team that gave up a whole lot of runs is the Cincinnati Reds, as they got up by a count of 7-0, to zero and they gave it all back in one inning as the St. Louis Cardinals won by a count of 12-11. to 11. The Reds were able to hang a touchdown between the third and fourth innings as the Cincinnati Reds were able to get two home runs out of a place that I didn't even know existed. They wind up calling up catcher Ryan LaVarnway, and he gets two home runs in this one. They take a nice big lead, and then they saw their touchdown lead in the sixth inning, erased by the St. Louis Cardinals, who might score more points in a game than Kyler Murray will in his opener, as they scored a touchdown and a field goal in the sixth inning. Paul DeYoung is 15th of the year, and Jose Martinez his ninth. For Adam Wainwright, things did not go as planned for him. Three and a third innings, he gave up seven runs, all of which were earned. But then the bullpen didn't necessarily do bad. Five and two-thirds innings, they give up four runs. Carlos Martinez gives up two runs in an inning, and Dominique Leon gives up two runs without recording an out. But how about this? The Cincinnati Reds are now four and 20 when Tyler Molly takes the mound in his last 24. He goes five and a third innings. He began the bleeding in that sixth inning. He gave up four runs, all of which were earned, and then nobody could stop it. Jared Hughes wound up getting one out. He gave up four runs, but all of them were unearned. He was hurt by a Joy Votto error, which is unfortunate. 
You also had Ryan Stevenson going an inning. He gave up two runs, and Matt Bowman wound up giving up two runs while recording it out himself. So it was just a team effort, and I think that we are seeing some regression for this Reds bullpen. The regression for the Washington Nationals bullpen from their good June seems to be all linked to one Fernando Rodney as the Atlanta Braves get a 4-3 win over the Nationals. The Nationals were able to rescue this game in the ninth inning. They were down by a count of 3-1. to one. And then, lo and behold, Victor Robles gets a home run his 14th of the year off of Luke Jackson to be able to give this team a chance as it squandered a chance for Julio Tehran to get a win. He had a very good start for the Braves. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up just one run, but then Luke Jackson gave up that two-home run, that two-run home run, but they wind up getting the win because going in from the bullpen for the Washington Nationals, Fernand, oh no, Rodney, and he gave up a run in the ninth inning. He actually pitched a he actually pitched the eighth inning without giving up a run. Why the Nationals wanted to press their luck and play with Fernando Rodney in the ninth inning, I am not sure, but they certainly hit a whammy there. Patrick Corbin, decent start in this one. Five innings, gives up two runs, and then Tanner Rainey gave up a run out of the bullpen as well, but the other guys all in all didn't do too bad. How about a game that stays under when you've got six home runs in it and the total is eight? That is what happened at Houston as the Astros take down the Texas Rangers by a count of four to three. Neither of these teams could do anything with men on base. The Texas Rangers 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. The Houston Astros didn't have too many opportunities. They were 0 for 2, but they just had a bunch of guys belt out solo home runs. Jordan Alvarez is 10th. Yuri Gurriel is 17th. Alex Bregman is 26th. And Jose Altuve is 13th. We had Eli Hershkovich come on this podcast yesterday and say regression was in for Mike Miner. He certainly got some bad luck in this one. Seven innings pitch. He gives up four runs. All four were solo home runs. That's one of those things where you just shrug your shoulders and say, yep, negative regression came. And you got to think that it's going to get a little bit better from there. So say Leclerc also pitched the eighth. And Justin Verlander continues to give up home runs as well. He's giving up nearly two per nine innings. He goes six innings in this one. He winds up giving up eight hits. Two earned runs, and they were both solo home runs. He also had 12 strikeouts, and then the Houston Astros bullpen was able to do the job from there. They go three innings, giving up one run. That one run was unearned, but for the Texas Rangers, going deep, as Dribble Cabrera's 12th of the campaign, and Rudnett Odor, his 14th. A team that has been going yard quite a bit so far this year, the Oakland A's, and also the Minnesota Twins, who they oppose, but it was the Oakland A's getting the win this one by a count of 5-3. to three. For the swing in Oakland A's, Marcus Simeon was able to lead off the game with a home run, his 15th of the year, and Chris Bassett, a pretty solid start in this one. He goes five innings, gives up three runs, but only two of which were earned, and you've got to continue to note this. The Oakland A's bullpen is nails once again. They go a combined four innings, giving up two hits, no earned runs. They certainly were able to shut this game down. And for the Minnesota Twins, Jake Odorizzi, not his best start. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. It seems like a regression has hit for him ever since the middle of June. And then you had Ryan Harper giving up two runs out of the bullpen as well. He was the gentleman that took the loss, but a good sign for the Minnesota Twins. Marwan Gonzalez is hitting quite well for them. His 11th home run of the year. And the Minnesota Twins have been playing quite a few unders recently, and the Oakland A's just continue to get that good pitching. Another team that was able to get some very good pitching on Friday was the LA Dodgers. They get a 2-1 win over the Miami Marlins. 
For the Marlins, Zach DeGallon wound up giving it a very good start in this one. Five and a third innings. He gives up two runs, but only one of which was earned. He was hurt by an error, or else the Miami Marlins perhaps win this game. And then the bullpen of the Marlins continues to be pretty good. Two and two-thirds innings. They don't give up a single run, but for the Marlins, they were just only able to muster four hits because Hunjin Ryu once again was dynamic. Seven innings pitch. Gives up just one run. Kenta Maeda, who apparently has been relegated to the bullpen, gave an inning, and then Ken Lee Jansen was able to close the door. And for the LA Dodgers, they weren't able to do anything with men in scoring position. 0 for 12 in that regard, but with the LA Dodgers, they continue to be the best team in the big leagues with regards to their home record. That win improves them to 37 and 12 at home, so got to give them a lot of credit. That win improves them to 38-12 and 12 at home. Got to give them a lot of credit. Got to give a lot of credit to Mike Leake of the Seattle Mariners as well. The Mariners completely shellacked the LA Angels by a count of 10-0. to The last time Leake took the mound, it was that day in which the Angels got that combined no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners, and he wound up not making it past the second inning. In this game, nine innings pitch, he gives up one hit, one walk, he was absolutely terrific. The LA Angels just were unable to do anything. And this was with Mike Trout back in the lineup, by the way. And for the Seattle Mariners, Daniel Vogelback goes deep twice in this one. His 22nd and 23rd home run of the year. You had Taylor Cole serve as the opener for the Angels. And he did a great job. Two innings pitch. He gives up one hit. No earned runs. But hi, may, buddy. Oh, boy. Three and two-thirds innings. Gives up ten runs, all of which were earned. He now has a 736 ERA. He is going on the fade list for that. That is just absolutely not good. you got to figure that the Angels' bats are going to be a little bit better, but I don't know if Padilla is going to be able to recover from that. I don't know if the Mets are going to be able to recover from this one as well. The San Francisco Giants wind up getting a 1-0 win in 10 innings, and that one run was thanks to an error by Dominic Smith. The San Francisco Giants just had absolutely nothing going on offense. The Mets had absolutely nothing going on offense. As Jacob deGrom, another terrific start. Seven innings pitch. He gives up three hits. But there's a reason why he's one of the bottom five least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues among starters. And it's because the team just continues to let him down. And this time it wasn't even the bullpen's fault. Luis Avilan winds up going an inning and he doesn't give up a run. Jacob Ram winds up going one and two-thirds innings. He did give up that run, but it was an unearned run because Dominic Smith had no idea how to play a fly ball. And then for the San Francisco Giants, being able to hit that fly ball that should have been caught but was not was Austin Dickerson. And ever since he's been integrated into this team, this San Francisco Giants team has been dynamic. And Tyler Beatty cashes another big plus money ticket for you. He is now the second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. If you've bet on him in all 10 of his starts so far this year, you're up nearly $1,000. He goes eight innings, gives up three hits, no earned runs. Will Smith and Sam Dyson were able to hold down the fort for an inning as well. And the San Francisco Giants have now won 14 out of their last 16 games. That is the textbook definition of hot. And then rounding out the night, the Arizona Diamondbacks club the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 10 to 7. For the Milwaukee Brewers, you least just seen, ooh, it was not a good day for him. He winds up recording seven outs. He gave up seven runs in the process, six of which were earned, including a home run. From there, you had Junior Guerra be able to give two outs. And I will give credit to Birch Smith and Matt Elbers. They gave a combined three innings without giving up a run. But Jay Jackson, he wound up giving up three runs in two innings himself, including a home run for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Going yard in this one, Eduardo Escobar is 22nd of the year, and Christian Vasquez and Christian Walker is 19th. As Taylor Clark 
The starter for the Arizona Diamondbacks also was not long for this game. Three and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Matt Andres gets one out. He gives up three runs in the process, but then you had Greg Holland looking a little bit better. He's not walking guys with... The base is empty and two outs and giving up the game or anything like that. But if you're looking for a good sign for the Milwaukee Brewers, Christian Yelich continues to match his 35th home run of the year. And Lorenzo Cain is 7th. But the Milwaukee Brewers just do not have any pitching. Starting relievers, other than Zach Davies and Brandon Woodruff, and of course Josh Hader, you really don't have a lot with this team. So what did we all find out on Friday Major League Baseball? The wind really does affect games out there at Wrigley Field, and the Cubs just continue to win at home. The New York Yankees are playing a lot of unders, and the Colorado Rockies are just continuing to lose games in general. Jonathan Means looking like a very good starter, and really the only one that you can trust for the Baltimore Orioles. The Philadelphia Phillies are starting to get online with their bets. The Tampa Bay Rays are looking like a very hot and cold team, but perhaps Ronaldo Lopez is starting to find something. The Cleveland Indians are really starting to hit their stride with their offense. Marcus Stroman is continuing to give good starts for the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Detroit Tigers offense and team in general just looks absolutely helpless. The Cincinnati Reds bullpen certainly showing some chinks in the armor. You cannot trust Fernando Rodney whenever he trots out there for the Washington Nationals, but you can trust in Julio Tehran whenever he starts for the Atlanta Braves. It appears as though regression has come for Mike Miner as he got unlucky on Friday, and Justin Verlander continues to give up home runs himself. The Oakland A's bullpen looks absolutely dynamic right now. Hunjin Ryu is pitching at a just incredible level. The Seattle Mariners all of a sudden are getting something out of Mike Leak just in time for the trade deadline. And the San Francisco Giants are continuing to be very profitable whenever Tyler Beattie takes them out and the Milwaukee Brewers need pitching about as much as they need their next breath. So that was Friday. Now let's just take a look at the baseball landscape in general. Let's talk about what we're going to see in the next few weeks with the trade deadline. And helping me do so, Dan Zaborski of Angrass. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Always great to have on our next guest. It is Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. You can follow him on Twitter at DZimborski, and that is spelled the letter D. S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. It's like I've almost already recognized it at this point because this man has joined me so many times that it's because he always delivers tremendous insight. And Dan, how are you today? I'm pretty good. You're going to have to keep having me on since you've already invested all this time into learning the spelling of my name by heart, which isn't that easy. Exactly. And I've invested a lot of time in figuring out, when are you going to release dead money contracts? I'm waiting on that article. I love that article. And yet it still hasn't come out. I'm a bad scheduler. What happens is I get distracted by a news article and I write about something else. Like I write about the Texas Rangers today. I don't even remember what I wrote about this week, but I get distracted by news and things that happen and then things get pushed back another time because they're not connected to the news and so they just keep dragging farther and farther (laughs) Uh, it is okay i forgive you because you take the time out for this fine podcast so that right there is your mulligan that's your get out of jail free card and you do mention the texas rangers this weekend they're going to be taking on the houston astros for saturday it looks like it's going to be ariel gerardo and the houston astros 
just at this point have no idea what they're doing with their rotation. Obviously, you got Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, but I think this is such a unique spot because the Texas Rangers, I think we both agree this team has played over their skis all year long. And then the Houston Astros, aside from their two aces, you just don't know who's going to pitch. Obviously, Wade Miley is their number three, but that said, Fanbar Valdez has just completely crapped out. You've got so many other guys like Brad Peacock, Colin McHugh. They have either been relegated to the bullpen, hurt, or in some cases both. It's just one of those things where I'm having a tough time getting a read on either of these teams. Yeah, I mean, the Rangers are wrote about how it seems more likely than not now that Mike Miner is actually going to be traded before the deadline which is probably smart. The Rangers have lost, I believe, 11 out of 15, 10 out of 14, something like that. And that's kind of put them in a kind of a tricky place standings-wise because you can't really sneak in in the AL this year. To win the wild card, you're going to have to win 92, 93 games, and that's just for the second wild card. Houston, they'll make an acquisition too, but, you know, you still when you still have Verlander and Cole, and as weird as this still is, Wade Miley, when you still have that one, two, three, you can make up for a lot of sins generally. I do agree with you. Wade Miley has been pretty solid so far this year. And I think the Astros are an intriguing bunch as well because it seems like now Jose Altuve and George Springer have really gotten back to being their old selves ever since coming off the injured list. So could you see a lot of these Houston Astros games with their rotation just being so inflexible and showing a couple signs of regression? Could you see the Astros just playing a whole bunch of really, really high scoring games? Because that's how I view it at this point. I think they could. And it's funny about Altuve because we were talking with you about him before the All-Star break. And he, I think he's come up like 30, 40 points of OPS since then. So maybe we should talk about players more often like that. Oh, absolutely. It's a good omen for them. And Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. And that AL West in general has a bunch of teams that are doing, I would say, a pretty good job. The LA Angels, I know that they took it on the chin when they went up against Garrett Cole a couple nights ago, but ever since the All-Star break, they've been playing well. The Oakland A's, not enough can be said about this team. On Saturday, it's going to be Brett Anderson going against Jose Barrio, says the Oakland A's, I believe, entered into Thursday having won 19 out of their last 25 games. It's something absolutely insane. Where do you view these two teams? Because the Oakland A's, they've already bought Homer Bailey. I think that they're going to probably be looking to add a little bit more as they try to make this stretch for the wild card. And the LA Angels, they're playing some inspired baseball. And I feel like ever since that sad and unfortunate tragedy to Tyler Skaggs, this team is playing to its full potential. I still think that Oakland has the strongest team of the three, simply because I think they have the fewest holes. And if you look at some of their roster, there's guys that are underperforming that you could conceivably see a lot more from in the next few months. I mean, Chris Davis has not had a good season. I mean, the A's are well above 500, have a good shot at the playoffs, and that's been without Chris Davis really hitting. Jerickson Profar has not been all that good. Steven Piscotti, not quite sure his exact return date, but even he hasn't hit that well this season. And these are guys who should be hitting better, and they haven't really gotten any unusually crazy performances from anyone in the lineup. Like, you look at someone like Marcus Simeon, you can see the improvement in his numbers. He's a guy who's really improved his glove since being a rookie, which is kind of unusual to have that big a step forward with the glove work. And he's also a much more disciplined hitter than he was in the past. So he's seeing these gains you know, from a lot of hard work. I think that the A's tend to be the deepest of the non-Astros teams in the AL West. And I think they tend to be the safest in some ways. They just have a lot of guys that are just you know pretty consistent. I do agree with you. I think that a couple of these series out there in the National League are going to be pivotal as to who's going to be buyers and who's going to be sellers. I certainly think that there's a lot of intrigue between the St. Louis Cardinals versus the Cincinnati Reds as they're playing a four-game set. Milwaukee Brewers versus Arizona Diamondbacks. 
Two teams are neck and neck, just barely above 500 in that series. And then I do think that it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with the Colorado Rockies because this is a team that ever since the All-Star break and for that matter, just before the All-Star break that really hit the skid, seemed like things were turning around for them. Now it seems like the Colorado Rockies, if they don't have a good series against the Yankees, they might be sellers themselves just because they play a style in which when they're away from Coors Field, they have one of the best ERAs out there in the big leagues, but Coors Field just badly overinflates their offensive numbers because away from home, they're just not very good with the bats. Yeah, I think that the Rockies are a team that should be thinking about a, not maybe a rebuild, but a retool. But the NL is just so weird right now because there's literally only one team, the Marlins, that is clearly out of the playoff hunt. I believe, but I'm not positive, so I might be lying a little. I think that every team in the NL, is, except for the Marlins, is within five wins of a playoff spot. Yes, they are. As of right now. So I, I didn't lie. I told the truth. I hate lying. And I'd be lying <laughs> if I would tell you I'm completely shocked by the San Francisco Giants at this point. Going into Thursday night against the New York Mets, they had won 12 out of their last 14 games. The offense, which has acquired guys like Austin Dickerson and company, has all of a sudden caught fire. I know that as of right now, the Giants are saying publicly that they're not going to be buyers, but what do you make out of the Giants and their possibility of a playoff spot? Because they're getting hot at just the right time. That puts them in a very tricky spot come July 31st. Oh, I think they might be in the trickiest spot simply because that's a team that they either have to push or they have to rebuild. I think the middle ground is kind of a larger disaster for the Giants than pretty much any other team in the NL because the team is old, the farm system's weak, and if they can make the playoffs this year, this is literally the last gasp. And if they're not going to make the playoffs, it's really hard to not get value of any type for say Madison Bumgarner or Jeff Samarja. It's still players that still have value that in a trade, like like Brandon Belt would get something in a trade, even if he's not having, you know, the star level seasons he had in 2015, 2016. But that that, that has value to a contender. And if when you're a team that gives up, given how few sellers there are, it's a good seller's market. And the Giants may be even worse next year if they don't move anybody. So they have to make a pretty tough decision, and I think they're going to go right down to the wire before they make it. I agree with you, and a team that I think should really be sellers is the New York Mets because what are so many teams looking for this year? Starting pitching, and what do you have with the New York Mets? You certainly have Noah Syngard, and you have Zach Wheeler. I remember having uh, Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5 out there in Houston. He suggested try to trade Jacob DeGrom because you could get full value for him. And I don't think he's lying when you say that. If you were the New York Mets, I think that you'd probably be selling too. But what do you think will actually happen for the New York Mets? Because what we think is going to happen and what actually is going to happen, typically two complete opposites with this very, very interesting franchise. Well, I guess you could say I don't really think that much of the Mets. So I have a feeling that they're going to kind of just take the lazy middle route and not do much of anything. I think back into this offseason when he did some good things, it didn't work out, but bringing in Edwin Diaz and taking a chance on Robinson Cano, I thought those were reasonable ideas at the time. They got the Mariners to pay a lot of the baggage for, for those salaries. So it hasn't worked out, but I think those were good ideas. But they didn't really do a ton past that. They didn't go after a top free agent. There's a little bit of thrift in the ownership that you don't necessarily see want to see in a New York team that's winning. They seem lost half the time. Look at Jeff McNeil. He's 
been, I guess, the second best player in the lineup this year after Pete Alonso. And he was a player that wasn't even necessarily in the Mets' plans to start full-time this year. They kind of acquired a bunch of third basemen and second basemen, and grudgingly we're going to start playing him in left field since Cespedes is out probably for the year. So they kind of fell into that. That's that's what the Mets do a lot. They seem to fall into success sometimes, but I just don't have a lot of faith in the organization. Oh, I have absolutely no faith in the Mets organization either, considering when you take a look at that bullpen, it pretty much is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life, as we've got Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. And then when you take a look at the American League, I think the Cleveland Indians are a very interesting case study. We've noticed that the offense has really picked it up. Now, when you're playing against the likes of the Detroit Tigers, it certainly is easier to be able to do that. But with the Cleveland Indians, I do like what I'm seeing out of Carlos Santana. Francisco Lindor doing a good job at the top of the lineup. Then you got guys like Jose Ramirez, Roberto Perez, and company that are finally starting to pick it up. What do you make out of the Indians in this wild card hunt? Because we saw the Boston Red Sox go out there, and they got Andrew Casher last week. You saw the Oakland A's acquire Homer Bailey. But it just seems like the Indians themselves just don't seem to be really content on buying. And as a matter of fact, we're hearing possible rumors that they might try to trade Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I don't think they're actually going to trade Trevor Bauer right now. It makes more sense to explore that in the offseason because right now, I mean, as hard as it is to start selling when you're this close to the playoffs, because if the playoffs started today, the Indians, I believe, would be tied with Oakland or ahead on percentage points. I guess that's neither here nor there. But I think you can't afford to trade Bauer now while you're still in the playoff hunt, simply because you don't have a lot of certainty around the rest of your rotation. You have Carlos Carrasco out with, you know, leukemia. Jeffrey Rodriguez is injured. Corey Kluber is injured. Mike Clevenger has just gotten back, essentially, from injury. In the offseason, when you can take stock and see who's injured, who's not, who you might be able to count on in 2020. And then I think you trade Trevor Bauer because it's a team that needs offensive help. They went into the season overly reliant on Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez being superstars. And that's not usually a bad bet, but Ramirez has not been a superstar and they haven't had so many places where they can really make that up. Carlos Santana has been terrific this season, much better than I think anyone expected. But the outfield is still kind of messy. It's it's sorting itself out. They finally have probably the best outfield they can out there most of the time. With Tyler Naquin and Jordan Luplo and Oscar Mercado, some combination. They're coming around and doing it at the right time. I mean, they're only four back of the Twins. It looked like the Twins were going to run away with it, but Cleveland has you know shown a pulse, which I didn't know was still there. I do agree with you, and I do think that we're seeing the Twins really coming back to earth. The Minnesota Twins got off to one of the hottest starts we've ever seen with regards to hitting. And ever since the All-Star break, the hitting just really hasn't been there. What is a real Minnesota Twins at this point? Because we're noticing guys like Nelson Cruz, Mitch Garver, they're all coming back to the pack. Luis Arreyes, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, is hitting nearly 400. I mean, that is absolutely insane, and that's going underreported in my opinion. But what do you make out of this Minnesota Twins team? Because it's hard for me to get a read on them at this point. I think they never really were the best team in the American League. I don't think that you could really look at their roster and say with a straight face that this is a better team than the Yankees. This is a better team than the Astros. I do think that if you thought of them as, say, a 500 team this year, that they've made enough significant progress to at least believe believe they're above that. I mean, we know Nelson Cruz isn't done. We know Martin Perez is a reasonably good picture now. We know Jake Odorizzi is also a picture who you can have as your number two guy in the rotation. So, I mean, if we said they were like 500 earlier this year, maybe they're an 88-89 team over the course of a season, and that's still a good team. And that's still a team that will be competitive for the wild card. People probably 
got a little too excited, which isn't hard considering how they were playing. We do have Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. Does tremendous work for Fangraphs and still a occasional contributor for ESPN. And Dan, I have to put you on the spot here. Of all the teams that are alive in both the AL and the NL wildcard, what is the one move that needs to be done for one of these teams to get over the hump? Right now, myself personally, I think it's the Brewers that need some pitching help. Looks like on Saturday against the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're going to be trotting out their Gio Gonzalez. They're going to try to kick the wheels on that. This is just a team that, outside of Josh Hader, they have nothing in the bullpen at this point. The starting pitching, aside from Zach Davies and Brandon Woodruff, has been suspect at best. I think that's one move that needs to happen. I don't know about you, but I think that that would be a game changer in the National League. I think of the wildcard teams, I would love to see the Tampa Bay Rays make a big acquisition of a picture for the next year or so. I would love to see them. They're probably not going to bring in Marcus Stroman, but I'd love to see them bring in, say, Mike Miner of the Rangers. I think they're an organization that could do a lot with a picture like Miner, who doesn't rely on like a big fastball. The, the Rays have good success with that. With the news about Tyler Glasnow, all the buzz about his coming back has been kind of delayed. Now he's going to be out until probably the end of August. I think at that point, you can't really get a picture at that point. So I think the Rays need to be a little active in getting a picture. Because remember, this year, we have essentially the earlier trade deadline. The trade deadline is actually a trade deadline this year. So you can't claim a big contract, not that the Rays would, you can't claim a big contract in August to sneak someone through waivers, because that's not an option anymore. So I think the Rays should be just aggressive about this. And you bring up the fact that there is going to be no waiver period. I think that's so interesting because we've seen a lot of the biggest moves actually happen between that August 1st and August 31st period. This is the first time without it. What do you think is going to be the result at the trade deadline? Because I have to think that it's going to make some massive changes to what we've seen in the past. I don't know if it's just from my hope that it's busier, but I think it might make the deadline a busier experience simply because Teams have to be more urgent. I mean, we're just talking about that, obviously, with the Rays, but you don't have an option of picking up a spare outfielder or an extra starter to increase the depth in August like you could before. You can't pick up an Andrew McCutcheon on August 31st, so you have to keep everybody healthy for two months, or you're going to have to go with what's in the system or what you can get on waivers, which isn't going to be anywhere near as good you know, release waivers as someone you actually trade for during the waiver period. So I think that it'll make kind of a more exciting deadline. But again, I'm biased because you see, I like exciting deadlines because it gives me a lot to write about. And then there's no writer's block because (laughs) all the news is happening and it's, it's very exciting. And then you sleep for a week in August and it's extremely satisfying. I do always enjoy sleep and I enjoy a lot of excitement as well. And something else I enjoy your work over there at Fangraphs and ESPN. Dan, I'd like to close it up with this. Let the good people at home know where they can find you, know where they can just get a little bit more of you in general because I know that you're doing tremendous work, whether you're having a lot of sleep or if you're just running <laughs> on a whole bunch of caffeine. Yeah, it, this is caffeine time of the year. You can always find me at Fangraphs. I write daily. I do a lot of stat work behind the scenes since I am one of those numbers nerds. You can find me at ESPN.com fairly regularly, not as often as when I was full-time, obviously. And you can always find me at Dees and Borsky on Twitter because, you know, Twitter, everyone has a love-hate 
relationship with it that you might hate it at times, but you're going to do it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it is one of those love-hate relationships, but we all are on the tweet machine. And a big thanks to Dan Zimborski for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. Thanks to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs for joining me as we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, which happens to be the apartment of my girlfriend. So without further ado, let's give you guys a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays is going to be listed on my Twitter feed, at JudenR-Squared81. Some of these plays all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. Some of these plays were in wait-and-see mode. We're waiting on some line moves, lineup changes, announcements, everything like that. And that will all be noted as we go along as to the plays I have locked in and the plays I'm waiting on. And it all starts in Las Vegas rotation order with 901-902. The San Diego Padres head to Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Jose Quintana goes for the Cubs. Joey Lucchese for the Pods. Total on this game is off the board since it is at Wrigley Field. But if you're looking at the Cubs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 120, minus 124, plus price with the Padres. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 114. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Cubs. The team is 35-17 and 17 at home so far this year. And Jose Quintana... He's had a couple bad starts, but all in all, he's actually been pretty much a steady Eddie pitcher. You take a look at his numbers, 7-7 record, 421 ERA. He has been giving up essentially three runs a start ever since the beginning of June. He had his one bad start in which he gave up eight runs in four and a third innings against the Mets. He had one good start in which he gave up zero runs against the Reds, but past that, it's essentially three runs in six to seven innings for him. Meanwhile, Joey Lucchese done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard for the most part. He's giving up right around 1.15 home runs per nine innings, 7-4 record, 392 ERA. This is a guy that's giving up right around two to three runs per game as well. You take a look at what he did in the month of June. He had two starts in which he gave up four runs, and then two starts in which he gave up two, another start in which he gave up zero. So all in all, he's been solid, but I do have a little bit more faith in the Cubs bullpen with guys like... Craig Kimbrell and company coming on with the San Diego Padres. The guys like Robert Stock just have not been getting the job done, but a couple guys that have been getting the job done for the Cubs, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. How about Anthony Rizzo getting a grand slam yesterday? He's got 20 home runs on the year, hitting above a 285. You also have Chris Bryant going deep 20 times, 296 average for him. Javi Baez, 287 average. He's went deep 22 times, 64 RBI. Victor Carantini, whenever he's in the lineup, has been hitting a 275 at the catcher spot, and then you've got... 
Martin Maldonado now with the team. He's been there mostly for his defense, but Wilson Contreras hitting a 290 himself. He's been supplying a lot of boom. Kyle Schwarber is only hitting a 230, but his home run count is 21, so he certainly has been doing his job. And then you got David Bo- and then you got David Bodie, Albert Amora Jr., and Anderson Russell all hitting between a 240 and a 247. Jason Award has picked it up with his average 278 for him. And then you take a look at the flip side for the San Diego Padres. You've got Famio Reyes and Hunter Renfro doing a terrific job of being able to go deep along with Manny Machado. Manny Machado has really picked it up ever since a rough start to the year. 24 home runs, 271 average for him. And then you've also got Eric Hosmer, 13 dingers for him. He's got 63 RBI, but getting back to Reyes and... Renfro, 53 home runs between the two of them. Both of them are in between a 246 and a 253 as well. But then you've got some guys that really need to do pick it up with their bats. Francisco Mejia, Ian Kinsler, Will Myers, and Austin Hedges all in below a 215. Josh Naylor was able to hit a home run yesterday, but he's only in a 240 himself. Craig Garcia has done a good job of getting on base. He's hitting nearly a 270. And Manuel Margot has his average above a 240 as well. But then you take a look at Fernando Tatis Jr. Does a great job of setting the table. 322 average. He has went deep 15 times himself. Very good at being able to get stolen bases. But I do think the Cubs are certainly going to have a little bit of a better start here from Jose Quintana. I trust in their bullpen a little bit more. And let's face it, the Cubs in general, just a very good home team. So for this one, I'm going to be going with the Chicago Cubs on the money line. Just in wait and see mode because I am seeing a little bit of money coming in on the pods. And I am going to be probably looking a little bit more at an under. Just depends on the weather because yesterday we saw a total hovering around 12 and a half with the wind blowing out. So for that, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at junior one We move on to 903-904 on the betting rotation. The New York Mets are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Jeff Samarja goes for the Giants. Walker Lockett for the New York Mets. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over is just a minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Giants, going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 124. The plus price with the Mets, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 114. And Walker Lockett has not made a start in quite a while. He was recalled to AAA when he was just really sinking up the joint. Meanwhile, Jeff Samarja has actually looked pretty good recently. I do know that he's given up 16 home runs in 105 and a third innings, but has given up two earned runs or fewer in all three of his starts in the month of July. In the month of June, there were a couple rough runs. There were a couple rough ones. In his last four starts, he gave up three earned runs or more, so clearly he had some issues there, but Walker Lockett, 1174 ERA, 170 whip. I always say that if you have a whip, that'd be an impressive bench press for a set of 10. You're not doing pretty good, and that's actually a pretty good one, but what else is pretty darn good is the fact that you've got some bats for the New York Mets. Jeff McNeil at the top of the lineup is hitting a 344. That is absolutely superb for this team, and then you've got Pete Alonso. He has been absolutely amazing. 268 average, 32 home runs, 72 RBI. Dominic Smith has come on for the team. He has been a solid outfielder that's hitting just below a 300 amid Rosario along with J.D. Davis have also been stepping up with their bats, hitting between a 270 and a 281 between them. Wilson Ramos is hitting nearly a 270, and Tomas Nito seems to be coming on at the catcher position as well. Juan Lagares is contributing absolutely nothing, and you got Todd Frazier and Robinson Canopel thinning at a 244, but you also do have Michael Conforto going deep 17 times. He's got his batting average above a 250. And the San Francisco Giants, I believe that they have now scored six or more runs in 10 out of their last 16 games. This is a team that comes in having won 13 of their last 15 going into Friday's action. And Buster Posey 
Pablo Sandoval, Mike Ustremski, Kevin Pillar are all guys in between a 255 and a 265. Brandon Belt has been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs. Got like the fact that Austin Dickerson and Matt Slater, ever since they got called up to the big leagues, along with Donovan Solano, all hitting above a 330. These are the guys that are making a big difference for this team. Stephen Voigt also hitting a 270. With the New York Mets bullpen, it certainly is improving, but at the same time, you certainly do have your concerns whenever a guy like Jurisic Familia and Edwin Diaz come into the game. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants, Will Smith, Tony Watson, Mark Melanson, these guys have all been doing a very good job. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the San Francisco Giants and the under in this spot, seeing a little bit of money coming in on the Mets and the over. So game wait and see mode on both of those, but we're going to be riding them out. 905-906 on the bang rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates play host of the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin goes for the Phils. Trevor Williams for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Total in this game is 11 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Pirates, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 117 and minus 120. Your plus price on the Phillies is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 105. Zach Eflin has just really hit the skids recently, and for that matter, both these pitchers have been hellaciously bad. In their last four starts, if you take both of them, seven out of their last eight have went over. Zach Eflin is giving up over 1.6 home runs per nine innings. Trevor Williams right around 1.4. And ever since Trevor Williams came off the injured list in his four starts, I believe he's given up four earned runs or more in every last one of them. Both these guys in the last four starts also have an ERA above a 9.5. Just not too many redeeming qualities there with the Pirates and the Phillies. You also have two of the bottom eight bullpens in the big leagues. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you certainly have some guys that do a very good job of getting on base. It's all led off by Josh Bell. Josh Bell hitting just below a 300, but he has... 27 home runs, is a league leader with over 80 RBI. Sterling Marte has 16 home runs. He's got a batting average right around a 275. Adam Frazier is hitting a 280. Kevin Newman is hitting nearly a 330. Brian Reynolds, a 340. Melky Cabrera is hitting above 300. You also have Corey Dickerson hitting above a 280. Elias Diaz more around a 260. So all in all, you got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job in that regard. And with the Philadelphia Phillies, you certainly have a couple guys that have been struggling with the bat recently, but you are now getting something out of Mikel Franco double-digit amount of home runs there, 235 average. They are getting something out of Adam Hazeli as well. He was able to hit a big home run in that series against the LA Dodgers. You then have Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, Gene Segura, and JT Riamuto all in between a 260 and a 271. In the case of Reese Hoskins, 20 home runs, so he's been a little bit cold with power, but Cesar Hernandez is hitting a 280 and Scott Kingery a 290. I just think that we're going to get a whole lot of runs in this contest, and I do have a little bit more faith in the bullpen of the Philadelphia Phillies. Trevor Williams had the best ERA in the big leagues last year after the All-Star break, but he just is not showing that form this year, and Zach Eflin at times this year has shown some very good signs, and I think he could be able to show a little bit of that in this start. So for that reason, going to be riding with this total over and going to be riding with the Phillies. I'm in wait and see mode on both of these. Would like to be able to get maybe a 10.5 on the total, and I'm seeing a little bit of money coming in on the Pittsburgh Pirates. 907-908 on the bank rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals hit the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Miles Mikolas goes for the Cardinals. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is 9. The under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, laying anywhere between minus 132 and minus 135. The plus price with the St. Louis Cardinals, anywhere between plus 117 and plus 125. And with Luis Castillo, I believe he's given up more than two earned runs in just three of his starts so far this year. Has an ERA below two whenever he starts at home. He has just been absolutely magnificent. 
Meanwhile, Miles Mikolas has actually looked much better in race and form, but you still have your concerns with him. 6-9 record, 4-1-5 ERA, giving up over 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Now, you do take a look at the two starts in the month of July. He gave up four runs in four innings against the Giants, but then he bounced back with a complete game shutout of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He just has been a little bit inconsistent because in the month of June, he gave up less than four earned runs in all but one of his starts, but that one bad start was five runs and five innings against a Miami Marlins team that's not very good. With the Cincinnati Reds, Dylan Hernandez has been laying the team down the bullpen, and Robert Stevens had a little bit too, but all in all, they have a good bullpen, and the St. Louis Cardinals won the top 10 bullpens out there in the big leagues. And with both these teams, they have been struggling a little bit with their hitting. Eugenio Suarez certainly has been doing a quality job for this team. Eugenio Suarez has a batting average just below 250, but he's got 24 home runs. Joey Votto, ever since a slow start to the year has gotten things together for him. 260 average. Jesse Winker's hitting a 250 as well. Jose Peraza is up to a 240 and Yasiel Puig doing a much better job recently. 260 batting average. His home run count currently at 22. You also have to like that Jose Iglesias is hitting a 285 and Philip Irvin whenever he gets at bats because they're few and far between hitting over a 335. Now Scooter Jeanette has not looked like himself since coming off the injury list but the St. Louis Cardinals have not looked like themselves all year long. They currently have Yadier Molina and Marcel Zuna out of the fold. You've got Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong, Dexter Fowler, Paul Goldschmidt, and Tyler Edmond all in between a 247 and a 255. Very strange grouping there. And with Paul Goldschmidt, he has won deep 17 times so far this year. Jose Martinez is hitting a little bit above a 270 as well, but Matt Weider is hitting below a 230. Harrison Bader is hitting just above the Mendoza line. And then Kaziner, who was at the catcher spot yesterday, hitting below 100 as well. So this is a St. Louis team that certainly doesn't have great bats. And I think that Luis Castillo is going to be able to deliver a very good start. And I think that they're going to get to Mikolas in the spot. So for that reason, going to be taking this total under. And I'm looking at the Reds on the run line. Currently seeing a run line price of the Reds between plus 150 and plus 155. I've already locked in plus 155. And with the under, currently waiting Simo to see if I can get more minus 110 juice on that under 9. 909, 9-10 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals hit the road to face off against the Atlanta Braves. Mike Soroka goes for the Atlanta Braves. Anibal Sanchez for the Washington Nationals. Your total on this game is ranging between 10 and 10.5. On the 10s, he overs minus 120. The under has juice of even on the 10.5s. Under is minus 120 to the juice. The over is even. If you're looking at the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 148 and minus 156. Your plus price with the Washington Nationals, anywhere between plus 138 and plus 146. And this is a spot where I do have to continue to take a look at the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Washington Nationals going into Friday's game, I believe at 128 out of their last 40. They have been absolutely terrific. But the Atlanta Braves, one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. The Washington Nationals certainly had a league average bullpen in June and into July, but there still isn't a lot of redeeming qualities with them. And Mike Soroka, just all year long, has been getting the job done. 10-1 record, 2-2-4 ERA. Now, he did have a couple starts in late June slash early July. As a matter of fact, four of them in which he gave up at least three runs, but Past that, over the course of, I believe, 16 or 17 starts, those are the only ones of which he's given up three-plus runs. Anibal Sanchez has actually looked good in recent form as well. Five and six record, 371 ERA, but if you take a look back, ever since essentially the beginning of May, he has been doing a very good job of being able to limit the damage. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start, essentially since April 
third, which you got to say that is pretty darn impressive. But then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They just seem to have a little bit more firepower with their bats, and it's all led off by Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, a .297 batting average, 25 home runs, over 70 RBI. Ronald Cunha Jr. has went deep 21 times. He's got a batting average right around a .290. He's also got over 15 stolen bases. Dansby Swanson and Josh Donaldson are both doing a good job of being able to supply some yard work as well. Dansby Swanson, 17 home runs, .270 average. Josh Donaldson hitting a .255 to go along with his 22 home runs. Ozzy Albies is hitting a .285 and Nick Marquez a .290. Austin Riley has seen his average up to a .245, but he's got 16 home runs. And then whenever you got Tyler Flowers and Josh McCann out there at the catcher spot, you're in good hands with the Washington Nationals. Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both have an on-base percentage of 400 with Rendon. He has 20 home runs. Juan Soto, he's hitting just above 317 dingers for him. Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top lineup both are hitting a .280. Howie Kendrick is back in the fold. He's hitting above a .320. He's getting a home run every 15 or so at bats. Have a couple guys who are laying the team down in the bat. Jan Gomes and Michael A. Taylor both need to pick up their batting averages. And Ryan Zimmerman, since coming out, the injured list has looked pretty good. And Victor Robles batting above a .250 once again. But I do think that Mike Soroka is going to be able to tame these bats. I think he's going to be able to give a high-quality start that is going to allow this team to be able to get the win. So for that reason, going to be riding with this total under. And we are going to be going with the Atlanta Braves. Currently in Wayne C mode with the Atlanta Braves. But certainly going to be playing that at some point, And I've already locked in the under. Game 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. You got the Milwaukee Brewers hitting the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gio Gonzalez goes for the Milwaukee Brewers. Zach Greinke for the Arizona Diamondbacks. If you like the Diamondbacks, you're laying anywhere between minus 130 and minus 134, plus race with the Brewers, anywhere between plus 115 and plus 124. If you're looking at this total, total is 9. The under is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Now, Zach Greinke has had a couple rough starts, but here's the big question. What are we going to see out of Gio Gonzalez? Because this guy has not made a start in months. Now, I will say, I was very surprised when when Gio Gonzalez was making starts with the Brewers towards the middle part of the year. 2-1 record, 3-1-9 ERA. Gave up only two home runs in 31 innings, but he really wasn't going past five innings in any of his starts. Meanwhile, Zach Granke, 10-4 record. He has been giving up right around .8 home runs per nine innings ever since his blow-up start to begin the year against the San Diego Padres. But you do take a look at his last start against the St. Louis Cardinals. It wasn't good. Gave up five runs in six innings, but... He has been really a hit or miss pitcher because in four out of his last eight starts, he's given up four or five runs. The other four starts, he's given up zero. Then you take a look at the month of May. Didn't give up more than three earned runs in any of those starts he gave up. Three earned runs in two of those starts. The other three he gave up zero or one. He certainly is going to give you better length than Gio Gonzalez. And we know this about the Milwaukee Brewers. Bullpen has not been trustworthy. You obviously have Josh Hader, but guys like Matt Elbers, Alex Claudio and company not getting the job done in the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, their bullpen has been a little bit of a wreck as well. But something that has not been a wreck, the combination of Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte. Both these guys have... 21 home runs. In the case of Marte, he's hitting a 315. Eduardo Escobar, a 290. Adam Jones and Christian Walker, along with Nick Ahmad, are all hitting between a 259 and a 268. With Christian Walker, he's got 18 home runs. Gerard Dyson, 21 stolen bases, go with the batting average just above a 250. Whenever you got Carson Kelly out there, he's been good. Alex Avila is only hitting 213 at the catcher spot. Whenever you have Kelly, he's hitting more in the realm of a 270. Jake Lamb trying to reacclimate himself off the injury list as well for the Milwaukee Brewers. You do have Christian 
Yelich, 23 stolen bases, 330 average, 34 home runs, 73 RBI. Then you compound that with Mike Moustakis, Ryan Braun, and Eric Thames, all in between a 266 and a 272. In the case of Mike Moustakis, 25 home runs for him. Thames and Ryan Braun have combined 27. Orlando Garcia has 12 home runs, but he's only a 230. Jesus Aguiar in that same neighborhood as well, but Kesson Hira is right now giving the team right around a home run every 15 or so. A bad 320 batting average for him. Lorenzo Cain has good speed with Zoling a 250 along with Yasmani Grandal. In the case of Grandal, 19 home runs for him. But all in all, this is a spot where I do think that Zan Cranky is going to be able to give a better start than Gio Gonzalez. You just don't know what you're going to get out of Gio Gonzalez because he hasn't started in so long. And I do think that'll be a short one. So for that reason, going to be taking the arrows on the Diamondbacks and the under. I'd like to be able to get a little bit more favorable juice on this under. And I'm seeing a little bit of money coming in the Milwaukee. Hockey Burr, so I'm in wait and see mode there, but we'll be firing on both of those. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation. The Dodgers play host to the Miami Marlins. Sandy Alcantara goes for the fish. Meanwhile, Clayton Kershaw goes for your LA Dodgers. And with the Dodgers, if you want to bet them, you're laying a big price. Anywhere between minus 320 and minus 340. Plus price on the fish. Anywhere between plus 270 and plus 285. 12 in this game is 8. The over is the juice. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. If you like the under. Anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at Clayton Kershaw. The LA Dodgers are winning 80% of his starts, and we know just how dominant the LA Dodgers are at home. Going into their game against the Miami Marlins on Friday, they had won out of their home games 37 out of 49 of them. That's pretty good. But one of the most profitable road teams out there in the big leagues is Miami Marlins. And in regards to the run line, they actually have a winning record as an underdog on the run line. So you do want to note that. And with the Miami Marlins, they're starting to get a couple guys that are picking it up with the bat. Garrett Cooper, Harold Ramirez, Miguel Rojas. All guys are hitting a 285 or higher. And then you also have Brett Anderson. He's hitting a 247, 13 home runs for him. Jorge Alfaro, 270 average, 10 dingers for him. Cesar Puello sitting above a 285. Sterling Castro doesn't get a lot of walks, but he's hitting above a 250. Got a couple guys who are laying the team down with the bat. Russell Herrera, Curtis Granderson, JT Riddle. Austin Dean, all these guys are hitting a 225 or lower, but then you take a look at the LA Dodgers, you're certainly not getting a lot out of guys like Mar- Russell Martin and Kike Hernandez. Both these guys are hitting below a 240. Jock Peterson has seen his average up to a 235, but he's got 21 home runs. Alex Verdugo and Justin Turner both have 12 home runs, both in between a 295 and a 305. And then you got that man, Cody Bellinger, 333 average, 34 home runs, 77 RBI. AJ Pollock, since coming off the injured list, has been terrific. It's known as Corey Seager who's now hitting a 270 himself, but you have one big issue with the Dodgers. Their bullpen, not looking good whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Marlins for the year, not necessarily a trustworthy bullpen, but guys like Teron Guerrero and Austin Bryce have been stepping up for this team in recent weeks. I do like Sandy Alcantara and the fact that he does keep the ball in the yard as well. Now, with Sandy Alcantara, walks are a massive issue with him. In 107 and a third innings, he's issued 49 walks, but less than one home run per nine innings. Meanwhile, Clayton Kershaw, he's giving up more around 1.25 home runs per nine innings. Now with Clayton Kershaw, 8-2 record, 3 ERA. Sandy Alcantara, 4-9 record, 
394 ERA, but I do think that Sandy Alcantara is going to do just enough to keep the Dodgers in the yard, and I do think the Miami Marlins are certainly a live dog here, and I think the Dodgers are going to be sleeping with the fishes. So for that reason, we're going to be going with the absolutely ginormous price on the Miami Marlins. We're going to be taking this total over with the over. I already locked it in since I'm noticing a lot of steam coming in on it, and with the Marlins in wait and see mode since, let's face it, I don't think a lot of public bettors are going to be taking the fish. 915-916 on the betting rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays play host the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito goes for the Chicago White Sox. Meanwhile, with the Tampa Bay Rays, it is good old to be determined because we have a unknown starter for the Tampa Bay Rays. This game is currently off the board, but we do know who's going to be going for the Chicago White Sox, and that is Lucas Giolito, a man that is 11-4 so far this year. We were talking with Eli Hershkovich a few days ago of Radio.com, and he was noting some negative regression for Lucas Giolito, but I think that's more of a Cubs problem than anything else. If you take a look out of his last five starts, two of them are against the Cubs. He gave up a combined 11 runs in those starts. Past that, he hasn't given up more than three earned runs in a start ever since the beginning of April. So I think that's just a one-team issue with him. He has been doing a terrific job, 11-4 record, 323 ERA. And then it looks like, according to ESPN, it's going to be Blake Snell going for the Tampa Bay Rays. If you want a guy that has been up and down this year, it certainly is Blake Snell. 5-7 record, 455 ERA. If you look at the peripheral numbers, they're very similar to last year, but in the month of June, he wound up having three starts in which he gave up six runs or more. Needless to say, that is not good, and his last start in the month of May, he gave up seven runs and three innings against the Kansas City Royals. It just feels like this is a guy that against lesser lineups does a just absolutely awful job, but then he rises to the occasion whenever he faces a team like the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. Now with the Chicago White Sox, you do have a couple very capable bats. You do have to like the fact that Yohan Mankata has 17 home runs and is hitting above a 300. Lourdes Garcia at the top lineup is hitting a 290 himself. Got a couple guys that they need to pick it up with the bat. Wellington Castillo, Jose Rendon, Yonder Alonso. All these guys are hitting a 210 or lower. And Daniel Polka was just so bad that they've just essentially ixnade him from the lineup. Adam Engel is only hitting a 230 himself. But Yomer Sanchez hitting right around a 245 to go along with Eli Jimenez. And Eli Jimenez has certainly been supplying some home runs. You've got James McCann hitting right around a 300. John Jay more in the neighborhood of a 330. Jose Abreu has been terrific for this team as well. 21 home runs, 275 average, over 70 RBI. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Tampa Bay Rays. You just have a whole bunch of guys that are hitting between 13 and 16 home runs, and nearly all these guys are hitting in the realm of a 275. Austin Meadows alone, exception, 291 average to go with his 13 home runs. But Tommy Pham, VCL Garcia, Yandy Diaz are all guys that fall in this neighborhood. G-Man Choi, not so many home runs, and he's hitting a 260. Kevin Kiermaier is hitting right around a 250. Travis Arnault, 240 batting average, and he had three home runs in a game against the New York Yankees last week. Mark Bruseo is hitting a 333, and then Joey Wendell and Mike Zanino are both laying the team down with the bat, but this is a spot where if it is Blake Snell versus Lucas Giolito, certainly going to be looking at the White Sox and probably going to be looking at an under. The White Sox have been struggling with being able to get men on base and just being able to get runs in general ever since the All-Star break, though they did have a good showing against the Rays yesterday. But early leans on this game, under and Chicago White Sox, 
but there is no line posted. So please check back in the morning at GNR Squirty. One for Seth plays there. One eight line is posted. 917-918 on the bank rotation. The Detroit Tigers play us the Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton goes for the Jays. Meanwhile, Daniel Norris for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 10.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Jays, that's anywhere between minus 118 and minus 120. The plus price on the Tigers is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. I just cannot have any faith here in Daniel Norris whatsoever. And you've got a Detroit Tigers team that it feels like they're getting a couple better batting averages out there in their lineup. But the problem with the Detroit Tigers is the fact that they just don't have anyone that can go yard for this team. Right now, their best contact hitter is Brandon Dixon, a guy that's hitting right around 240. He has been able to supply the team with 12 home runs. Whoopty stink and do. And you really need Miguel Cabrera to be stepping up for this team with regards to power. He's hitting just a below a 290, but he's only got six home runs on the year. Nick Cassianos hitting a 282 himself, which is nice. But then you've got Christian Stewart, Jaimir Candelario, Jordan Hicks, Grayson Griner, Jody Mercer, and all these guys are hitting a 230 or lower. You can throw in there Gordon Beckham and Roddy Rodriguez as well. Nico Goodrum has his average up to a 250, along with Jacoby Jones. Victor Reyes hitting in that neighborhood as well. And Harold Castillo is hitting a 320, but there's just nobody that can drive anyone in. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays, they were really able to get their offense going yesterday. You got a whole bunch of guys earning between 14 and 17 home runs for this team. Lords Goriel, Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez, Randall Gritchick, and Freddie Galvis all in this neighborhood. Now, I will say this. Other than Freddie Gallus who's hitting a 263 and Lords Goriel nearly a 290, all these guys are hitting below a 240, but at least they're making contact. You've got a lot of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. The whole catcher spot, Billy McKinney, Teoscar Hernandez, Brandon Jury, Kavan Biggio, all in a 226 or lower. But Eric Sogard at the top lineup, hitting above a 300 himself. You do like to see that. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, they are getting some good bullpen pitching. I will say the Detroit Tigers, their bullpen pitching is a little bit improved. But Daniel Norris, 2-8 record, 5-1-4 ERA. He's giving up right around 1.57 home runs per nine innings. And you just take a look at a lot of his recent starts. They haven't gotten his plan. Two starts in the month of July. He has an ERA right around nine. In the month of June, he wound up being able to polish off his month by giving up a combined eight runs in his last two starts. This is just a guy that you really cannot have a lot of faith in. Now, Trent Thornton has been getting banged around like a pinata himself. This is a gentleman that's 3-7, and 5-2-5 ERA. In his last start against the Boston Red Sox, didn't make it out of the second inning, giving up five runs. But the start before that, six shutout innings against the Baltimore Orioles. Start before that against the Red Sox, he gives up seven. I think that he just has a little bit of a Red Sox issue, but... With that said, I do like the fact that he gets over a strikeout per inning. He's backed up by a better bullpen. So for that reason, we are going to be taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays here. And I do think that this is a total that stays under. Ever since the All-Star break stands yesterday, the Toronto Blue Jays have not been picking it up with the bat. And the Detroit Tigers, I just don't know who's going to be able to drive in the runs for them. So going to be playing this under, and I'm going to be playing the Toronto Blue Jays just to wait and see about as to what numbers I'm going to be locking in there. 919-920 on the bang rotation. It is the Baltimore Orioles, and they are going to be playing host to the Boston Red Sox. Rick Porcello goes for the Boston Red Sox. Thomas Eshelman for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 11.5. The over and under, both at minus 110. If you like the Boston Red Sox, laying anywhere between minus 190 and $2. Your plus price with the Baltimore Orioles, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 180. If you've been betting on the Baltimore Orioles this year in starts that are not made by Andrew Kashner, 
You are down over $3,000 if you put $100 on every game, according to our friends at Odd Shark. Now, I will say that a shellman has not been good. He has been getting shelled, to say the least, a little bit over a 5 ERA. He's backed up by a bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles that has an ERA that's hovering right around 6. Meanwhile, Rick Barcelo, he hasn't necessarily been great himself. 7-7 seven seven record, 537 ERA. You take a look at his most recent couple starts. In each of his last four, he's given up at least four runs. I mean, it's just not going well for him, to say the least. The start before that, he had a scoreless outing against the Minnesota Twins, which is nice, but this is certainly a gentleman that is lending himself to hard contact right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. But the good news for him is he is backed up by a Boston Red Sox lineup that they've got a whole lot of power hitters, and it's all led off by Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts, 21 home runs so far this year. He's got a 313 batting average. Rafael Devers, 17 home runs, 324 batting average for him. Mookie Betts is hitting a 285. Christian Vasquez and JD Martinez are in that neighborhood as well, between a 284 and a 292 for both these guys. Michael Chavis has been a very nice find for the team as a rookie, right around a 260 batting average, 16 home runs for him. Sandy Leon, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Eduardo Nunez need to pick up their batting average along with their underused left fielder in Sam Travis, but Brock Holt hitting above a 300 himself. Andrew Benatendi right around a 270 as well. Then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. You do have a couple guys that are doing a nice job of getting on base. Hanser Alberto doesn't draw a lot of walks, but he's got a batting average above a 300. Trey Boom Boom Mancini, 19 home runs, nearly a 290 batting average. Renato Nunez, 21 home runs, 245 batting average. Anthony Santander is hitting just above a 275, along with whenever he's out there in the lineup. Pedro Severino, he seems to be injured, but then you got a lot of guys that need to pick it up with the bat. Richie Martin, Keon Broxton, Chris Davis, C.V. Wilkerson, all guys hitting below a 230. And the only guy that's hitting above the Mendoza line, which is 200, is C.V. Wilkerson. Chancisco is hitting a 260 himself. Jonathan VR more around a 260. And I noted how bad the Baltimore Orioles bullpen is. Just can't have a lot of faith in them. So for that reason, we're going to be riding with the Boston Red Sox on the run line and the total over. With the over, I'd like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice there. And with the Red Sox run line, that's hovering between a minus 130 and minus 135. Obviously, we'd like to be able to lay a little bit less juice there, but we're going to be playing both of those. 921-922 on the betting rotation. The Minnesota Twins play OC Oakland A's. Brett Anderson goes for the A's. Jose Barrios goes for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 9. Over his juice of minus 115, the under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Twins, that's anywhere between minus 138 and minus 140. Your plus price with the Oakland A's, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Minnesota Twins. What I will say about Brett Anderson is that he's been doing a very good job of keeping the ball in the yard, but this is just not a guy that's going to be able to generate swings and misses for you. For the year, he's getting right around five strikeouts per nine innings, nine and five record for Brett Anderson, 379 ERA. He's given up just a little bit less than a home run per nine innings. So, like I said, certainly going to be able to keep the ball in the yard. And you take a look at his recent form, he's just been giving a lot of starts in which he's giving up right around two runs. Now, he did have a blow-up start in June in which he gave up seven runs and three innings against the Tampa Bay Rays, but all in all, he's been solid. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Barrios over his career at Minnesota. He has been doing a very good job and this year he's been doing a little bit of a better job on the road. 8-5 record 3-10 ERA. Last time this man gave up more than 3 earned runs in a start was on May 18th on the road against the Seattle Mariners so he certainly has been a steady Eddie pitcher. He's giving 6 plus innings in every one of his starts and he's backed up by a Minnesota Twins team that they are right now on record setting pace in regards to home runs and it's all led off by Jorge Polanco. 
Jorge Polanco, a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting above a 300. Max Kepler has been hitting just above a 260 himself. 23 home runs for him. Eddie Rosario has stepped up with the bat. He's hitting in the neighborhood of a 280. His home run count right now at a 21. CJ Crone, 17 home runs, 265 average there. Marwan Gonzalez hitting right around a 265 as well. Miguel Sano only getting a 236, but he's getting a home run every 12 or 13 at bats. Luis Arreyes needs to be noted more. His on-base percentage... 453. He's hitting above a 380 for the year. Jason Castro, Byron Buxton, both hitting right around a 250 as well. Nelson Cruz, 270 batting average. He's certainly been supplying some pop. And with the Oakland A's, this is a team that's getting white hot, and they've been doing a very good job against the lefties to be able to do so. Ramon Loreno has stepped up with 19 home runs, 280 batting average. He is actually a little bit of a team leader in regards to the bat right now. Matt Olson hitting a home run every 12 to 13 at bats to go with his 255 batting average. Mark Hanna has 15 home runs. He's hitting a 258. Drexel Profar is only a 216, but he's really been getting hot with home runs recently. Chad Pinder has his batting average hovering right around a 250, along with Jeff Feigley. Robbie Grossman hitting more around a 255. And Marcus Simeon has 15 home runs to go with his 270 batting average. He went deep yesterday, so I do like what I'm seeing there. Both these teams have pretty solid bullpens. Guys like Taylor Rogers, Ty Duffy, and Mike Moran for the Minnesota Twins have been good. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's, you got Blake Tryon and Lou Trevino looking like like their form in 2018. So for that reason, we're going to be playing the total under and I'm going to be riding with the Minnesota Twins. I've already locked in the Minnesota Twins as a play. I like the way that Barrios pitches at home and with the under, just waiting to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on that. We move on to 923-924 on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians play with the Kansas City Royals. Jacob Junis goes for the Royals. Adam Plutko for the Cleveland Indians. Your total on this game is 10.5. Over is minus 115 on the juicy. Under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 172. Your plus price with the Royals is anywhere between plus 145 and plus 157. And Jacob Junis is one of the biggest puzzles to try to figure out in all of baseball. This is a man that has pulled off some nice plus money wins. He was able to do so earlier in the year against the Tampa Bay Rays. You take a look at his last start against the Chicago White Sox. He was able to do it once again against Lucas Giolito, but then he just has some brain farts of starts. You take a look at the last eight starts. He's given up four runs or more in three of them. And then in the other five starts, he's given up one or two runs. It's just one of those things where... You don't know if good or bad Jacob Junis will show up. And I will say with the Kansas City Royals, you certainly don't have too trustworthy of a bullpen. Guys like Jake Diekman and Ian Kennedy look to be better, but there are some times where they just have lapses. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians, they do have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but with Adam Blutko, you just don't know how long he's going to be able to give you. 3-1 and record, 540 ERA. He's only got 27 strikeouts in about 42 innings. In his last start against the Detroit Tigers, he gave up five runs. And for that matter, in each of his last two starts, he's given up five runs without going past the fifth inning. But in his four starts previous, he gave up one or two runs in each of them. So that was obviously a good sign. And what is a very good sign for the Cleveland Indians is the fact that they are getting some improved hitting. And it's all led by Carlos Santana. His batting average is right around at 290. Going into Friday, he had 21 home runs. Francisco Lindor at the top of the lineup has been terrific for this team. 290 batting average, a double-digit round of home runs. Taylor Naquin hitting above a 280 for this team as well. Oscar Mercado has his batting average hovering right around a 290 himself. Jordan Luplo, 260 batting average. Seems like all of his home runs come against the Chicago White Sox, but at least he gets home runs. You've got Jose Ramirez, Jason Kipnis, Roberto Perez, and Jake Bowers all in between a 230 and a 245, but seems like all these guys, other than 
Perez seem to be on a little bit of a come up with the batting average. And in the case of Perez, he does have 16 home runs on the year. You also do have to like the fact that this team in general just seems to be getting some contributions from guys like Mike Freeman. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, you certainly do have a couple guys that are struggling with the bat. Cam Gallagher, Mybreeze Violia. Hopefully I'm saying that name correctly. Chris Owings, Lucas Duda. Guys like this, they're all batting a 225 or lower. You could throw in there Billy Hamilton. Nicky Lopez is only hitting a 236. Bubba Starlin, not hitting much above that as well. Jorge Soler has been solid. Even though he's hitting a 247, he's got 25 home runs. Hunter Dozier and Alex Gordon both hitting above a 280 as well. In the case of Hunter Dozier, above a 290. Whit Merrifield, a 312 himself. But with Adelberto Mondesi, the league's leader in stolen bases out of the fold, it makes things a little bit tougher. Chesler Cuthbert being able to hit a 300 is nice for this team. But yeah, just take a look at the Cleveland Indians. They just have more firepower. I think that Pluka is going to be able to get online. But I do think that both these guys are going to give up some runs. And I like the way that the Indians are hitting. So for that reason, taking the Indians on the run line and the total over with the over. Would like to be able to lay a little bit less juice. And with the run line, I'm currently seeing plus 105. I'd like to be able to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a plus price. But if not, I'll take the plus 105. 925, 926 on the betting rotation. It is the Texas Rangers. And they are going to be doing battle on the road against the Houston Astros. For the Houston Astros, it is good old to be announced. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, you've got Ariel Gerardo. And because the Houston Astros have yet to decide on a starter, this game is currently off the board with Houston Astros. Wade Miley, Garrett Cole, and Justin Verlander. All very good starters. The bullpen has been solid so far this year, but it has been letting them down recently. Currently, we have no idea who's going to be starting, though. And I will say, guys like Framber Valdez, a company that have been getting the starts, they have been awful. Meanwhile, if you want someone who's been awful of late, it is Ariel Gerardo. You take a look at what he's done. In seven out of his last nine starts, he's given up at least three earned runs. In his three starts in the month of July, he's given up a combined 11 runs. Things are not going as planned there. But with the Texas Rangers, you certainly do have some bats that are firing in all cylinders. And you got to like the way that Joey Gallo has been able to come back to the lineup. And he's been able to supply a little bit of pop. 22 home runs for him. He's hitting just below a 270. Danny Santana's done a terrific job of getting on base. 320 batting average for him. Elvis Andrews is hitting a 295. Sin Chu Chu certainly has been able to hit a couple home runs to go with his 290 batting average. His home run count on the year. Currently at a 15. No Mazzara over 50 RBI. 260 batting average for him. You do have a couple guys that they really need to pick it up. Rudnan Odor, just such an inconsistent player. It's not even funny to go along with Tim Fedorowicz, Azrubal Cabrera, and Raul Guzman. All these guys hitting a 230 or lower. And then you take a look at the Houston Astros. They do have a couple guys that need to pick it up with the bat as well. Tony Kemp, Tyler White, Max Tassie. All guys are hitting a 235 or lower. Miles Strauss hitting a 270, which is nice. Marizic sitting at 260, but Robinson Torinos only hitting a 216 now. Alex Bregman has been terrific. He's got 24 home runs, 270 batting average. George Springer and Jose Altuve look to be themselves after coming off the injured list. George Springer now has 21 home runs. Jose Altuve seen his on-base percentage climb and his batting average to a 275. Jordan Alvarez, what can be said about him? Home run every about 11 to 12 at-bats, nearly a 330 batting average as well. But I do like the fact that with the Texas Rangers, their bullpen does seem to be improved a little bit. They are getting some quality innings out of guys like Jose LeClerc and company. But as of right now, my early leans are to an over. 
and to the Houston Astros in some form or capacity, but with no line on the board, can't give you anything for certain, and I do need to see who the Astros are going to trot out there as a starter. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarty1 for set plays there. We move on to 927-928 on the bank rotation. The LA Angels hit the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Griffin Cannon goes for the Angels. For the Seattle Mariners, we've got good old to be determined, which means that this game also is off the board, but I can tell you this, with Griffin Canning, things have not necessarily been going as planned for him. Three and five record, 475 ERA. This is a kid with a world of potential, but that potential has figuratively and literally been going yard as he's been giving up right around 1.75 home runs per nine innings. And you just take a look at the recent starts for him. He's been very lucky to be backed up by some good hitting because his two starts in the months of July, he's went a combined four and two thirds innings between them, giving up nine runs. And then at the end of June, he gave up five, he had five starts in that month of June, gave up two runs in a combined 11 and a third innings in those two starts. But then the first three starts in the month of June, four runs, three runs, four runs, going six runs, going six innings in each of those. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, this is the top over team out there in the big leagues. They're hitting about 65% of their games over and a lot of that has to do with their bullpen. Their bullpen is just absolutely anemic. With the LA Angels, it's not like their bullpen is nails, but it has looked better ever since he sat in the fortunate tragedy of Tyler Skaggs and the All-Star break. And you do take a look at the Angels. You certainly do have a lot of capable bats out there for the team, and it's all let off by Mike Trout. Going into Friday, 305 batting average, 30 home runs, 75 RBI. Shoei Otani's hitting above a 300. Then you've got Brian Goodwin. And Dalton Simmons and Daniel Fletcher, all in between a 295 and a 283. And you can throw in there Kevon Smith as well. Luis Rangifo's inning at 260. And you're also getting Cole Calhoun and Albert Pools inning between a 235 and a 240. For Pools, 14 home runs. Cole Calhoun, 21. And then the Seattle Mariners, they certainly do have some pop with Domingo Santana and Daniel Vogelback. They have a combined 40 home runs. And in the case of Santana, 277 batting average, 64 RBI. Daniel Vogelback has seen his average dip to a 235. Malik Smith has 26 stolen bases to go with his 236 average. And Dean Gordon certainly has been getting stolen bases as well to go with his 264 average. Got like that Tomas Murphy and Omar Navarez have the third most home runs combined at the catcher spot so far this year. They have a combined 25 home runs, but then you got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with their bats as well. Dylan Smith, Kyle Seager, Mac Williamson, all guys are in a 225 or lower. Tim Beckham is right in that neighborhood as well, and Tim Beckham has been absolutely brutal with the bat. Obviously, we need to see who the Seattle Mariners are going to trot out there as a starter. But with that said, early leans on this one are going to be the LA Angels on the run line. And likely going to be looking at an under, depending on the total. If we're seeing a double-digit total, probably going to be looking at an under. If we're looking at something along the lines of a 9, probably going to be looking at it over. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarity1, since we have no line and an unknown starter for the Seattle Mariners. And we wrap things up with 929-930 on the bang rotation. It is the Colorado Rockies on the road against the New York Yankees. The lone interleague game on the set, as it is Masahiro Tanaka going for the Yankees. Antonio Sensatella for the Colorado. Rockies. Your total is ranging between 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10s, the over is just a minus 110. The under is minus 120. On the 11.5s, your under is minus 120. The over is even. If you like the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be getting a mountain high price. Anywhere between plus 210 and plus 235. If you'd like to lay it with the Yankees, that is anywhere between minus 250 and minus 280. 
I just can't justify laying this with the New York Yankees at this point. Now, Antonio Sensatella has had a couple blow-up starts recently, but I believe in seven out of his last ten starts, he has given up two runs or fewer, and he's one of those guys that he just doesn't pitch well at Coors, which he's got an ERA above six at Coors, but all in all for the year, his ERA on the road hovering more around four. Now, he does give up a little bit of hard contact. You take a look at what Antonio Sensatella is on, 8-6 record, 579 ERA, 91 and a third innings. He's given up 13 home runs and 43 walks. So that's right around 4.2 walks per nine innings. But even though he only gets about five strikeouts per nine innings, he's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard when he's on the road. Meanwhile, Masahiro Tanaka. This is a guy that's been to knock it around over 1.5 home runs per nine innings. I have no idea why he was on the All-Star team because he's 6-5, 381 ERA. And if you take a look ever since the beginning of June, this is a guy that has four starts out of his nine that he has given up at least four runs. So things have not necessarily been solved for him. Now, one of those was that stupid London game in which he got two outs and gave up six runs. We can throw that one out the window, but still, he's going up against a Colorado Rockies team that certainly is not the same on the road as compared to at home. But you do have Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, and Charlie Blackman all belting out at least 20 home runs and are all guys that have a batting average of at least a 285. And you also have to be able to compliment them. David Dahl hitting above a 300. Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond hitting between a 265 and a 275. Daniel Murphy, ever since a rough start to the year, is hitting a 290. Chris Iannetta is hitting around a 245. Now you do have Mark Reynolds and Garrett Hampson really struggling with their batting averages. But you take a look at the Rockies bullpen as well. On the road, when you've got guys like Brian Shaw, Wade Davis, and Scott Ober going, they are pretty solid. And with the Yankees, we do know about their bullpen. Tommy Canley, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, David Hale. The list goes on and on. They've got a lot of good players, but they are resting a couple guys as well. Now you've got Aaron Judge in the fold, hitting nearly a 300. We all know what he can do on base percentage above a 400. Gary Sanchez has been special in his own right. He and Edwin Encarnacion have combined for a total of 53 home runs. Now with Edwin Encarnacion, he's hitting a 223 and Gary Sanchez a 243, but both these guys are out their walks. DJ LeMayu has 66 RBI. I had to go through this 332 average. Gio Urshela hitting above a 300 as well. You've got Mark Talkman getting some starts. He's hitting right around a 235. And Brett Gardner have been in and out of the lineup recently. But Gleyber Torres has been in the lineup all year long. And Luke Voigt is back. Luke Voigt, 18 home runs for him. 275 batting average. Gleyber Torres, 290 batting average. 19 home runs. But I do think that the Colorado Rockies do have some value here in this spot. The Yankees have not been playing as many runs since the All-Star break at home. And the Colorado Rockies on the road, not necessarily terrible. At home, this is a team that is 26-24 and 24 on the road entering into Friday. They were 20-26. and 26, And I do think that this is a spot where you got to take a massive plus price with the Rockies because Antonio Sensatella does pitch better on the road than at home. So going to be going with the Rockies and the under. I'm going to wait and see about both of these because I do think that the public's going to be pounding the Yankees and the over. So those are my plays there. And to be able to find all the updated numbers I have on my pending plays, you can always check out at GNNRSquarity1 for that, which is also where you can ask a question for this fine podcast if you have one. A big thanks to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs and ESPN for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.